If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here's a subject that we have not visited in some time, but we will certainly visit it today. There's a lot here in chapter 15. We won't get to all of it, but I wanted to uh, read with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 51, where the Bible says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which is a euphemism for death, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. That statement there that we find in verse 52 is what I want to use for the title of this message, In the Twinkling of an Eye. First of all, your life can change just that quickly. A diagnosis from a doctor, a car, vehicle accident, so many things can happen in this life that come on us so suddenly and in most cases so unexpectedly. The difference being with what we have here in front of us, the coming of Christ for his church is not unexpected. Since Christ left almost 2,000 years ago, the church has been anticipating his return. However, the Bible does say that it will take many people by surprise. They're not expecting it. I saw a man, I don't know who he was, lampooning the gospel in a comedic um, stand-up, some type of routine. And the verse that came to my mind was how there will be mockers in the last days. They don't understand what they're talking about and what they're doing. They just find some humor in what is found in the book. In any case, we are not to be taken by surprise by the coming of Jesus Christ. We are expecting it. We are anticipating it, just as every Christian since the first century has done. And it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. Just that quick. So quick, at least I speak for myself, the return of Christ for his church is going to happen so quickly that I cannot compute how quickly that's going to be. I took the time to look up this phrase, this English phrase, in the twinkling of an eye. And I want to give you not a Christian or theological definition of the English phrase, in the twinkling of an eye, but a secular definition. I want to read it to you. This is what I found. If something happens in the twinkling of an eye, it happens very quickly. Well, we know that. But this particular definition and the little article that went with it has to do with microprocessors that you have in your computers. If something happens in the twinkling of an eye, it happens very quickly. That statement was used to introduce what 
microprocessors do in your computers instead of this. Microprocessors do the calculations in the twinkling of an eye. Clock speed is measured in megahertz and increasingly gigahertz. Today's fastest commercial processors, the computers that you own, operate at two gigahertz or two billion clock cycles per second. This means that a CPU with a clock speed of two gigahertz can carry out 2,000 million or two billion cycles per second, which computes to 0.3 nanoseconds per cycle when you put on your computer and you start to use your computer. A billionth of a second is a nanosecond. And the modern computer operates at approximately five times that, five nanoseconds. It's so quick that I found that this occupied more of my time than anything else because I was trying to grasp how fast this is for our modern commercial computers, the ones that you use. Five nanoseconds, two billion computations, calculations per second is pretty fast. And as I just shared with you, the people that were trying to describe this, the text that were trying to describe the ability of your commercial computers to compute data, use the expression that I'm using for the title of my message in the twinkling of an eye. And that's what they said, and I just read it to you. The young girl's at church, and she's taught in the Sunday school about the second coming of Christ. On the way home, she asks her mother, do you believe that Jesus will return? And of course, the mom said, well, well yes. Do you believe he can return at any time? And mom, of course, said, well, yes. Do you believe he can return today? Again, the mother said, well, yes. Then she asked this question. She said, mommy, can you do my hair? It reminds me of the story of a southern preacher where they were having a drought and during the drought, they gathered, the church came together to pray that God would give them rain. And when the congregation came in, the preacher, before he started the prayer meeting, said, if you believe that when we pray, God is going to answer us, meaning giving us rain, he says, where's y'all umbrellas? See, that's real faith. God, send the rain. So you go out with an umbrella. I could tell you stories where we have prayed as a church, at least I did, and had similar results just like that. But the point is, the change will come for us in something that, at least in my mind, cannot be computed in our perspective of time. So quick. In the twinkling of an eye, it's just an expression, an axiomatic expression. Comparing it to the processing speeds of our modern commercial computers, well, it's pretty quick. That's how quick it'll be when Christ returns and there's a shout at the last trump, the trumpet of God shall sound, and then we're going to read in just a moment, the dead in Christ shall rise. In the 11th chapter of John, when Jesus talks about the resurrection of Lazarus in particular, he asks Martha, do you believe this? And we just sang, here Lord I give myself away. Tis all that I can do at the cross of the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away it was there by faith that I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. And we know 
that for many, many Christians, that just doesn't always work out that way. Why is that then? Because the faith has not completely permeated and put its roots all the way down. All the way down. So that you can look at the news and the media and see the things that are going on in the world that are terrible. In intelligently look at that with compassion and pity and prayer and all of these things, but not let it disturb your peace. So I'm going to give you a diagnosis as a soul doctor, which is what the Puritans used to refer to preachers as, not motivational speakers, not coaches, soul doctor, a doctor of the soul. You have got to till the soil of your heart until the root of the Bible, these verses and many others, go down so deep that nothing can shake it. And no matter how old you are today, and no matter how long you've suffered from anxieties and depressions, no matter how long you've spent, it is never too late for God to work in your life and for you to be able to say, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. I've told you repeatedly there is no glory to God to go around saying, well, you know, I'm just this and I'm just that. By design, we are to be conformed into his image, which I think I covered this last week or the week before, is the reason that trials are introduced into our life. They create opportunities for us to grow, but it also creates an opportunity uh, for us to want to go back to Egypt. When you are stressed and stressed right to the max, it's only one of two things that's going to happen. There's not anything in between. Your roots go down deeper, you grow more in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit becomes more evident, or you defect. Like the old saying goes, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. If you were to play with that a little bit, you could look at it two ways. The tough get going, but in what direction? Closer, running to the battle, saying, I will not be overcome and give in, and I'll not surrender, or running away. We are not designed to be cowards. We are not giving glory to God by explaining for the 1,000th time all the things that we're concerned about when God has said clearly, I will supply all of your needs. And let me state that needs and greeds are not the same word, but everything that we need while we're on this planet, and of course in the next, God is going to supply. He has promised. Now, as Jesus said to Martha, I'll ask you, do you believe this? And you don't have to say yes. And you don't have to say no. I want you to think about it. Because if you do, you are rooted and grounded right here in the word of God. And nothing's going to move you. The winds are going to come. And the storms are going to come. We read that in Matthew chapter 7. We know that these things are going to happen. But you will not be moved. You will remain firm in the faith. Thankfully, we have something the world cannot give, but the world cannot take it away. So if you find yourself losing faith in what I've just read, and what this book says, the coming of Christ, the twinkling of an eye, well, what happened was that when the world came along or Satan came along to steal your joy, your peace or whatever, your faith, you gave it away. You surrendered it like the bully who asked for your lunch money. Well, if you give it away, there's no end to that extortion. If you stand your ground, you have a better chance of not having that happen to you on a daily basis. So make the choice. Believe God. Let your roots go down deeper. 
or face the ultimatum that you're going to turn around. Listen, Peter was adamant. We're talking about St. Peter. He was adamant that if every other disciple in the room was to deny Jesus, which he said they all would, I will not. I will even die for you. That's how committed I am. I don't know about the rest of these guys that I spent three years with, but I know me. Jesus said, will you die for me? He said, before the cock crows two times, you will deny me three times. And that's what he did. Listen, we read concerning that incident of Peter's defection, momentary defection, from the Lord, that as Jesus was going to his trial, it says, and Peter followed afar off. Are you living in such a way like this little girl that accepted by faith what she was taught in church and then what her mother reaffirmed? That if Christ is that close, mom, can you do my hair? But listen, there are many professing Christians that this doesn't mean much to them anymore. Do they still believe it? Well, yeah, sure, but we've got time. I had one young man tell me, I believe, you know, the rapture is going to happen. I believe the coming of Christ. He said, but I've got time. How do you know you have time? None of us know that we have any more time left beyond the time we're in right now. And as I mentioned, and some of you know this by experience, and some by recent experience, your life can change in a nanosecond. A nanosecond. And everything has changed. That's what happened to me when I was young, but it led me to Christ. We are living in an age that is unprecedented. If you know anything about theology, if you've read any theologians or preachers of the past, whatever, the church has always talked about the last days because we have been in the last days for two millennium. Began on the day of Pentecost when the church started. And so naturally, teachers, preachers, spoke about the coming of the Lord, and it could be at any time because it always has been in that classification. It could have happened any time, but it hasn't. So what happens is that people, and preachers in particular, they rationalize, well, it hasn't happened in 2,000 years, so it's probably not going to happen in my lifetime. But you should know that we are living in a period of history that is truly unprecedented. The technology alone that I've just mentioned to you has not been around since recorded history. The world population, same thing. So we have those two unique traits or factors to deal with that is specific to this generation. But added to that is the fact that the gospel is now translated into more than half of the over 7,000 languages of the world. Then we have television, and we have radio, and we have the computer, social media, and on and on. Why is that? Because Jesus said the last thing that has to happen is the gospel will be preached. So everybody has a chance to say yes or no to this, what we read out of that hymn. Here I am, Lord, I give myself away. Which, by the way, for me, it wasn't much of a big deal for me to give myself away at age, what, 23, 22. I never regretted a day that I have. I didn't give my money away. I didn't have much at the time anyway. It wasn't just my time. I gave myself. I gave myself away because that's what was required. That's what I was reading in the book. And so now at this stage of life, I see the signs, and you see the signs. It's time to get prepared. Someone hears this message and other things that are going to be said during it, they'll say, that guy's cracking up. I'm not cracking up, I'm packing up. <laughs> Christ is closer than ever before, even at the door. And we see our signs. You getting your hair ready? You getting your dress pressed and your suit pressed? 
If Christ comes for me when I'm in the pulpit, I hope that I'm dressed appropriately. I just hope it doesn't come when I'm in the shower. <laughs> People will be all kinds of places. Uh, whether you're in the pulpit or the shower, that's okay. But you don't want to be found someplace you know you shouldn't be. You don't want to be found in bed with somebody else's wife or somebody else's husband and so on and so forth. Because that's not going to be good. And I went through that with you last week with the ten virgins. Five forgot to trim their lamps. They got lazy. They did what I just said. They started to rationalize things, you know, just as the world does. Preachers and Christians who are truly Christians don't do that. We take the word at face value. We interpret it literally as much as can be interpreted li literally. Not every part of the Bible can. And we follow Christ, Jesus. We're not, well, at least I speak for myself. We're not so enthused about the name of our denomination or even the name of our church. Or a little fellowship. We're enthused about himself, Christ. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And here's the thing. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, he's talking about sin. And he says, he who commits sin is the servant of sin, but whom the son sets free is free indeed, and you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. These people that heard Jesus, some of them went to jail, some of them went to prison, some of them were, all of them were under the iron heel of the Roman government that crushed anybody and everybody that got in its way. But he said, you'll be free. You'll be free. And when you're free, you know it on the inside. That's just a great experience. My friends, Jesus is coming. And I want to ask you, as your pastor and as your friend, how are you preparing? What are you doing? I told you this story once before, but I'm going to tell it to you again. Years ago, with our denomination, my wife and I being young, we had one of the elders that was come to visit us in the afternoon. So we came home from the church service. He was to be at a certain time, let's say 2 o'clock. So I decided I was going to take a bath, the very thing I just said. I was decided, let me go take a bath first, you know, get myself washed up. And it was after a church service, just mentioned. And before you know it, there's this knock on the bathroom door, and it's my wife telling me, he's here. You know, um, who's here? And she named the elder. I said, he's half an hour early. I know. What do I do? I said, let him in. <laughs> what do you tell an elder to say, well, my husband's taking a bath. Can you come back? Stand there with his wife? When Christ knocks at the door of your heart, you want to be in a position, no matter what may be your circumstance, in a good sense, is that you're able to say, come in. As a matter of fact, when you hear the preaching of the gospel, on that day, at that moment, Christ is knocking at the door of your heart, and you want to be able to say, right then, come in. Come in. Christ is going to come. He's not looking for the United States Congress to vote about it. And I'm glad for that. He's not looking for an executive order from the President of the United States or the General Council of the United Nations or whoever else is in the world, whoever they are now. He's simply coming on his calendar as he has planned. And the date alone, Jesus told us, the Father knows. I'm simply submitting to you the evidence that I do week by week that it's mounting more and more and more and more and more. And listen to me. And Jesus said... Because lawlessness shall abound, in Matthew 24, the love of many who profess to be followers of him shall grow cold. Doesn't mean they won't go to church services. Doesn't even mean they won't break open the Bible. 
But the heart is like the Ephesians in Revelation chapter 2. They have this aloofness now from the Jesus of the Bible that they didn't have. That's not where you want to be. You don't want to be following afar off in this period of history or any period of history. You want to be lockstep with Jesus. Are you in lockstep with Jesus? Not the denomination, not the preacher, but with Jesus. You know the book. Most of you know the book. You know what it says. Are you going to willingly violate it at a period of time when the coming of Christ is closer than ever before in history? Or are you going to say, here am I, Lord. I give myself away. And come what may, remember that Jesus said we have to pick up the cross. We should be picking up the cross because of what it produces, which is freedom. We should be picking up the cross the way some people pick up gold coins. It's a treasure. At first, it doesn't seem that way when you're crucified with Christ and things are going on in your life and you find yourself getting weaker. And I hear this and pastor, I'm just so weak. And what you maybe don't understand is this. When you come to Christ, he doesn't make you stronger. He makes you weaker. And then you find yourself. I remember early on in my walk, at first, everything just went great. I told you, I felt like I had the Midas touch. Everything I touched just turned to gold. Everything. Didn't matter what I did, it worked. And I said, wow, a lifetime of this. This is going to be fantastic. <laughs> then I read somewhere, you know, about asking Christ for a cross and being crucified and all that. And it's, Jeff, that's fine. Because it feels great. All of a sudden, just things began to happen. I mean, one after the other. And I could feel the brokenness inside. Talking to a friend of mine who happens to be a pastor as well now. And uh, in a very rare occasion that I cry publicly in front of anybody, the tears began to come down my cheeks. And he made an observation, and it was a good one. He said, now this is something. He says, just a couple of weeks ago, you're bouncing off the walls of how happy you are, and now you're crying. And he didn't mean it as a um, provocation, but an observation. I, I said to myself, yeah, this is what I asked for. Now, I don't know, I didn't, didn't know at the time all the details of what it means to follow Christ. I know a whole lot more now. But I'm glad that God is able to have his way. Because in the end, it is good. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. We have so much self-centered Christianity, which is not Christianity. That's why so many stadiums are filling up. Because the preachers, wittingly or unwittingly, know that people like to hear things about themselves and good things about themselves. And how God is going to give you this and all these things. Many, much of which is not even true. Much of which, at least some of which, is anti-biblical. Jesus bids a man come and die. But in that death, that seed goes into the ground and all of a sudden something new comes out of you. And you say to yourself, who is this? And you find yourself answering yourself by using this scripture verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Through Christ. It's really hard to explain, at least from my point of view. Uh, you have to experience it. But it comes through the cross. And so in the twinkling of an eye, Christ will come for his church. I would encourage you to get your hair done, get things in order, get your house in order. Because our salvation is much nearer than when we first believed. In a poem called Fairest of All, Herbert Locklear wrote these words in 1936. Listen. He has cleared my guilty conscience 
and has banished all my fears. He is coming in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and no time will be allotted for you to utter one goodbye. No time to kiss the husband or embrace the loving wife if they are but united in the bonds of holy life. Are you ready, Christian? Ready for shout and trump and voice? Will his com uh, coming make you tremble or cause you to rejoice? Are you walking, talking with him daily, taking him your care? Do you live so close to heaven that a breath would waft you there? Spurgeon put it this way. He said, a short prayer will reach God if you don't live too far away. The rapture and the revelation, two separate events in our understanding. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. A persecuted church. Keep in mind that the apostles were prophets. I mean, they were given by the Holy Spirit prophecies. And here is one. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Again, that means dead. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning the Christians that are dead. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep die in Jesus will God bring with him. Now listen. In verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not, prevent is an old English word, and it means to go first. We shall not go first against those which are already dead. Prevent them which are asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself won't be a bishop, won't be a leader of the church, won't be Pastor Ray. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And now look at verse 18, if you have your Bible open. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Oh, you say, Pastor, we are going through such tough times here in America. And we are. But I would say to you, they weren't as tough. We aren't having as tough times as they were having at that oppression of Rome. That eventually, as you know, began to persecute Christians because they were enemies of the state. That their teaching was the enemy that was perceived as <clears throat> being enemies of the state. And here in verse 18... The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, tells us to comfort ourselves with the fact that Christ will return. And we're 2,000 years after this was written, but it has not lost its effect. It has not lost its effect. Are you dissatisfied with this world? I'm not crazy about it. I always tell people, mostly younger people, I don't like this generation. Doesn't mean I don't like the people. I don't like its music. I don't like the constant chaos and confusion. I don't like the fact that I'm watching people change. I don't like the fact that there's corruption in the church. I don't like anything. But I can comfort you and you can comfort me with this word, Maranatha. You see, Christians in the early church didn't actually ever say goodbye the way we do. I'm always saying, see you, I'll see you later. But perhaps we should try it and make it a habit. Because Maranatha means the Lord is coming. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So every time they were, you know, leaving each other's company, it would be, the Lord is coming, Maranatha, 
I believe that we should probably give that a try. Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha means once again, the Lord is coming. And then it's written, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Now, some of you may know, when it comes to the word rapture, some make an objection, which is a very weak objection, to the fact that the word rapture is not found in the Bible. But what you need to know, and by the way, these verses here from 1 Thessalonians are speaking about the rapture of the church. Christ coming for the church. That's not the same as the revelation of Christ. We'll get to that. Coming for the church. Let me read it to you again. Then we which are alive and remain, alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them, the dead. So they have the dead over here. They're in the grave. And we which are alive, all caught up together. That's known as the rapture. And then we shall ever be with the Lord. And the Bible tells us to comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another. Christ is coming. Maranatha. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So some make an objection, which is, again, a very weak objection to the word rapture, because it was not in the text there. Even if you look it up in Greek, the words caught up, caught up together, is the Greek word harpazo. It's not even in Greek. Harpazo means to snatch, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, in the twinkling of an eye. Nanoseconds? How many nanoseconds? I don't know. I just know it's going to be so quick. I could not twitch with my eye as quick as it's going to happen. And I must say, and of course I'm not setting a date, but this seems to be the season that the apostles and prophets and Christ talked about. Lawlessness is abounding outside the church and inside the church, pretty much without stating it, openly stating it. Preachers are saying, well, it doesn't matter what you do. I'm here to motivate you. Preachers are to be teaching. Whether they like it or don't like it, whether they understand everything or they don't understand everything, a preacher's job is to teach the Bible and to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And these words that we read are coming from the Bible. This book is and always has been the best-selling book in the world. This is the best-selling book in all of history. People are attracted to it, and there's a reason for that. And I'll just give you one, it's because God wrote it. Forty authors God used as his pen over a period of about 1,500 years, all writing on one central theme with all the variations that we have in the Bible, all making this book to be cohesive. That has never, ever happened with any book, ever. Forty authors, get them to write one book right now. Get all the famous authors, all the bright guys. And maybe they'll come up with something. But over 1,500 years, and it's all collaborating with all the other doctrines of the Bible? Because God wrote it. Thus saith the Lord, the Spirit spake to me in all this here. That's why it's so popular and attractive. And my point now is that we read about the Lord himself descending with a shout, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. The Greek word is harpazo, and it means to be snatched. Snatch something. Believe it or not, there was a time in my life I could snatch a fly out of the air. Not so much anymore. But I could at one time. Got off the table and snatch them. And that's not even near to be a comparison of how quickly Christ will take us. But I wanted to share something with you for your information. Listen to this. Diende nos qui vivimus, qui relinquimur, simul, listen, rapiemur, cum ilis in nubibus obium domine 
in ero et sic semper cum domino erimus. That's the Latin translation. One of the earliest translations of the Greek Bible and also the Hebrew Bible and a little bit of Syriac made by St. Jerome. And if we look at this word here, rapiemur, you get a clue where we get the word rapture. No, it's not found in English. And no, it doesn't come from the Greek. It comes from Latin. But it's still applicable because this word here, rapiemur, means we will be raptured. That's what the word means. And that's the word that St. Jerome employed when he made the Latin translation of the Bible. So yes, there's precedent for the word and the use of the word rapture. And I'm going to counsel you and even caution you, you want to study this subject, go ahead. The internet now has got so much information, you'd have more success trying to study every book in the Library of Congress to come up with all the information that's there. For every point there's a counterpoint. I have come full circle. I still do a lot of reading. But I've come full circle to say, you know, this is the Bible, and this is what it says. We shall be caught up together with him. And if you're a thinking person, and I know that most of you are, we are living in the times that's providing us with the evidence that this could be the time. That as old as some of you are, as old as I am, this could be the day. I was thinking about this when I went to bed last night. I said, it's possible Christ could come tonight and never even get to deliver this message. In which case, we'll have to appoint someone here to take over if the rapture happens. <laughs> Probably Mario. I'll have to ask him to take over. <laughs> but he's coming for the church. And he's not coming for Roman Catholics, excluding all Protestants. He's not coming for Baptists, not coming for Pentecostals, Charismatics, and all these names, which to me means very little. Not nothing, but very little. He's coming for those who are born again. Those who have Christ inside. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's whom he's coming for. He's not going to say, you Catholic? We go. You Baptist? No. He's coming for those who have Christ. And if you have Christ today, you have hope. Now, hope, you know, obviously you're going to be lampooned on television by your family as being a dope. But Jesus said, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. So I'm on board. I'm in. I don't care what people think, and you shouldn't either. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and there will be an internal witness. He's called the Holy Spirit. When you read the book, as so many of us have had this experience, verses just seem to leap off the page. And all of a sudden, it's like your mind is just open to something that you read a thousand times. There it is. We shall be raptured. And it could be today. It could be today. During the COVID period, there was approximately 4,000 deaths per day, which uh, would translate to about one death every 22 seconds. So in other words, by the time I even finished making this statement, if we were in that period three and a half years ago, 2020, there'd be one person that died from COVID. That's how quickly things can change. But... This story, I think, will help you a bit in your faith. In the 19th century, in the middle portion, the 1800s, Britain was at war with France in what is known as the Crimean War. And there was a battle at a place called Inkerhorn, where a soldier who had been shot was able to crawl to his tent. And when they finally found him, however long that was, they found him with his hand on an open Bible. As they pulled his blood-stained hand off of the Bible, he being dead, 
They found it was on these words from John chapter 11, which I just quoted from earlier. Yea, and he that liveth and believeth on me shall never die. <laughs> A lot of things are going to befall us, come out in our lives that we're not too happy with. But if you have Christ inside you, you have this hope. If you, like a little child, can believe this. I'm not advocating not using the mind. I'm always using my mind. When I was first credentialed with my denomination 40-something years ago, one of the remarks from the elders before they gave me credentials was to my pastor who was sponsoring me. And he says, that young man thinks independently, doesn't he? And my pastor gave a classic defense. He says, yes, he does, but not rebelliously. You think I'm giving my mind to anybody? I am not. And I'm not a dumb person. Some of you think I am, but I'm not. Some of my family members definitely think I am, but I'm not. I'm not advocating just being foolish and childlike, but childish. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, I am alive. And I have the keys of life, or heaven and hell, a life and death. I am Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. <laughs> and you don't have to figure it all out. Only believe. So much of what you're going through right now can be palliated by just believing the words of Jesus and the apostles, of course, the prophets, the Bible. You could palliate it, mitigate it, if not alleviate it altogether. Only believe. Christ will come for his church. And we see this here illustrated in the word rapiemur, rapture. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? The Apostle Paul is talking about all the persecutions, all the troubles, all the beatings, everything. If God be for us, who can be against us? He, this is Romans 8, 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? The answer is no one. It is God that justifieth. The only one that can condemn you forever is God himself. Not me, not your neighbors, not the bishops, no one. Only God. But he's the one that justified you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is overcoming power. And if I may add, this is true motivation for those who believe in Christ. I don't have to pump you up and say, you're going to have a good day today. It's going to be your best life. Quite frankly, since I signed for Jesus, it's been nothing but fights and trouble. And I didn't ask for them. This is the gospel. No matter what is falling out in your life, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And nothing's going to separate you when Jesus himself says, come up here. Amen. <laughs> and wherever we are, 
I don't know if we're going to go up congregation by congregation or whatever. I just know we're going to go up because the book says so. Listen to me. I'm not quoting from some bestseller that man wrote about some theory, even though, again, you can read Stephen Hawking and you can read Elon Musk and you can read some of these people who are starting to figure out things aren't going to last forever. We need to get off the planet. And God's way ahead of them. He says, yeah, you can get off the planet. Sign on because I'm coming to take you off the planet. It's in this book right here. There are many people who would believe Stephen Hawking or even uh, Mr. Musk before they believe this book. This book was way ahead of Hawking. Read Hawking. I've read him. Read him. He believed that we can't survive. And he had all these different theories of how we're going to destroy ourselves. Body heat and temperatures. And we've got to go to Mars. And that's where Musk wants us to go. Jesus said, nah, Mars is too close. We're going to go all the way to my house. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go, I will come again. I'm preparing a place for you. And that, my friend, comes from God's book. It matters little to me if some scientist doesn't like it or they're lampooning it or laughing at it now. What does that matter to me? I have peace and I have assurance. How about you? Are you happy all the day? I want to be honest with you. I'm not happy all the day every day. Catch me at the wrong time, you say, that's Pastor Ray. <laughs> I can't believe what he just said. But I'm learning. I'm learning to just defer. I'm learning to remove myself from toxicity. I'm learning to keep my mouth shut. How many of you are learning the same lesson? Uh, zip it. No sense responding to this. It's going to take you down a rabbit hole. You're going to be circling the drain with someone who's already made a decision to circle the drain. And you maintain your peace. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Right? That's 1 John 2.25. For everything that's in the world, all that's in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. We're in the world, we're just not of it. You can still enjoy your football games and stuff or whatever you watch, but we're not in its sin. Let me quickly talk about the revelation of Christ. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye, that means every eye on earth, shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. Amen. Let me point something out to you about how we understand the difference between Christ coming for the church and Christ's return to the earth to judge the living and the dead, the two different events. For the rapture, all those taken have already been judged right there. And they paid the full price for every single sin. When Christ comes to the world, they're going to have to stand on their own sort of recognizance, which will not fly. Read the 20th chapter of Revelation. God's book. God's bestseller. And I will point out to you that in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, the Bible encourages us to comfort one another with the coming of Christ. Here, in this verse, it says the whole world will be crying and wailing because he's come. You see the difference? A little further on, it says when they see him, they'll be crying for even the mountains to fall on top of them. Trying to hide in caves and rocks. So there's two different receptions here. And gives further evidence to us that the rapture will precede the great tribulation, which we're not going to talk about today, but we are definitely set up for it right now. And so... To make this so that you have a practical application for your life. I go back to, are you ready 
I don't mean just disgusted with everything. I mean, are you biblically ready? Have you been daily trimming your lamp and making sure there's enough oil every day to keep it burning? Like we sang that old, old, uh, I'll call it a Give me oil in my lamp. Keep it burning, burning, burning. Have you been diligent to keep trimming the wick? To keep seeking God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is there oil in your lamp today? Or as I presented to you last week, are you saying, well, you know, it's always been this 2,000 years that he's coming and all that, and he's delaying his coming, and we're falling asleep here, and we'll get to the wicks later, and we'll borrow oil when we need it. Jesus teaches us in that parable, there won't be any way to borrow any oil. You can't borrow people's faith. You can't borrow my faith. I can't borrow yours. I can't pour my faith into my own children or my grandchildren. I can only persuade and pray. That's it. I only control me. But here's an interesting illustration on being prepared. Many of you know of the exploits of Ernest Shackleton to explore Antarctica. Goes on his ship and things just don't go all that well. So the ship is wrecked. But he finally makes it in a longboat to Elephant Island. Puts his crew there while he goes to seek a way to get home. Well, in his absence, the men there on Elephant Island, not knowing when, how, would Sir Ernest Shackleton come back. But one day, the ice broke, and Shackleton found a way to get back to Elephant Island. There were the men, all packed and ready to go. And when asked how they conducted themselves, how did they do this? This is what the men said. The men said, every time an iceberg broke and we saw the seas rising, we grabbed our stuff, and listen... We said to ourselves, the boss may come today. The boss may come today. And you know what? The boss just may come today. And even if the whole church doesn't go, in a nanosecond, you could be gone. Don't we know this? The men, the crew of Shackleton's expedition, stranded on Elephant Island, kept themselves ready for the boss, because they said the boss may return today. And when he did, and he did, they were able to get on safely and make their port of call back to Britain. And it all, in that case, for them, ended well, as it will for you and for me. But what I find an interesting, ironic twist in the story of Sir Ernest Shackleton applies to you and to me was the name of his ship, the Endurance. The endurance met with catastrophe not much different from the Titanic. But what is different is that the crew, when stranded on Elephant Island, endured, saying on a daily basis, the boss may come back today. And he may come back today for you. Either way, he's coming. And every eye shall see him. But in this case, Revelation 1-7, it won't be a happy time. In the rapture, however that all works out, we're going way beyond Mars. We're going beyond Ralph Crandom's uh, threat to Alice, going to the moon. And it's going to be more than bang, zoom. We're going up because God says so in his book. And that satisfies me. Let me finish with this. Listen, I know that many of you can relate to this there's a man in yonder glory I have loved for many years. He has cleared my guilty conscience and banished all my fears. 
He is coming in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and no time will be allotted for you to utter one goodbye. No time to kiss the husband or embrace the loving wife, if they are but united in the bonds of holy life. Are you ready, Christian? Ready for shout and trump and voice? Will his coming make you tremble or cause you to rejoice? Are you walking, talking with him daily, taking him your care? Do you live so close to heaven that a breath would wave you there? That's the poem I read to you earlier, and it has application for us. It has application for you. You know how you're living today relative to this book. I meet people all the time. I was raised in the church. I'm glad sometimes they say that to me because when they're really acting outrageously bad, I say, what did you learn when you went to the church? What have you learned? Are you seeking Christ? You will never be disappointed. Not in this life. And let me add this. If none of this was true, there was no heaven. There was no rapture, no revelation, none of this. None of this true. I can speak for myself. Having followed Christ for the last 46 years is far better than what my life would have been had I not followed Jesus. So it is a win-win. <laughs> because the rest of it, of course, is true because we're proving it with our lives as we trust Christ in other things. Uh, last week, we finished the service here. I was debating for six months whether I should continue my broadcast, not on the radio, but with the Oasis. I was having a meeting with someone after the service and a uh, knock came on the door. There's someone here that wants to see you. It says it's only going to take three minutes. I said, okay, fine. So I let the one person I was talking to and let this person I've never met come into my office. The meeting never took three minutes. It took like one minute. He described himself as a truck driver on the road, said that he's always scanning for me, meaning on the radio, to listen to the messages, I presume. And he put on my desk a coin, a gold coin, and he said, it's a treasure for a treasure. Do with it what you want. And he left. I've never seen him before. I don't know if he's here today, but I just know his name is Mark. Now looking at this gold coin, $15 gold coin. I said, wow, that was really great. I mean, it really made my day. But for me, it was a validation that God says, you're going in the right direction. See, these are the little things God does for me. Whatever he does for you may be different. But this is how I understand that when I make a move, God starts to validate things for me. And I say, okay, I'm on the line here that I got to follow. Later in the day, I just decided to look the coin up. I was happy to get $15. Because he said I could do with it what I want. So who knows? I don't know. Well, it's a numismatic coin. I didn't realize. I didn't think when I first received it. The coin's worth over $2,000. And you're not getting it. <laughs> so don't get any ideas in your head. Don't write to me. God has never disappointed me. Does he make me wait? Yeah, a lot. But when he comes through, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. God has never let us down here at Time for Truth. Never. And we didn't have to do tricks. I've been on radio for, for 35 years. I've never asked for a penny, ever, and God has paid every single bill. Every bill here. We don't do that crazy stuff. Tithe and offering, you know, we talk about that, but very little, because God is our source. And God is coming again in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, Jesus himself will descend for his church and say, come up here. Amen. And so shall all of us be forever with the Lord. Amen. It works for me. Amen. I truly pray and hope it works for you. And so we bless you today, O oh God. You have been so good to us. Teach us, God, and help us to trust you more. Not in a fanatical sense, a distorted sense, 
eccentric sense, just in the normal biblical sense. Help us to be concerned about those who do not know you to do our best to explain you to them and to invite them to know you. Lord, today, help those who need to put away those things that are displeasing in your sight so that they may know that they're trimming their wick and filling their lamp with oil. God, don't let anyone within the sound of my voice be one of those five virgins that were foolish. But let us live in a state of readiness. Even as NORAD and other military agencies do around the world, they're always in a state of watching DEFCON 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5. Help us to live in that state, always ready. Semper paratus, always ready, always ready. Touch today those that need a touch. Touch those that are backslidden that are not here that need to be. Wake them up. Shake them, O oh God. Cause them to know, I've got to get closer to Christ and stop following afar off. Renew the faith. Renew our faith. Let there be a refreshing and a spirit of refreshing to wash over this place today. Wash over those around the world that are watching this broadcast or listening again on radio. Refresh your saints, O oh God. Refresh your people. And cause us to have that shine put on us that we could say, truly, I'm happy all the day. We give you praise and glory and honor. And today we say, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. And then say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. We give you the praise and the glory and the honor. Just very quickly before I finish, today with your head bowed, your heart bowed before the Lord, you and you alone know whether you need to get your life straight with God. Again, I told you this. This is a lot of years in ministry. I'm getting close to 50 years in ministry. I'm only a few years short. I've seen people that come faithfully to a church service but do not change. And change is not easy. Simple, but it's not easy. And I'm asking you today, are you the one that needs to change your attitude, your thinking? Well, what is it? You're depressed? Well, watch my show or come to Patty's class. Take steps. You're anxious? Well, I've been there on more than 10,000 occasions. But do you need to change today? Do you need to change your attitude? Do you need to change your mindset? Do you even believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? This is the most important questions in life to answer. And you want to answer in the affirmative. I need Jesus. I need you in my life. Talk to him. I talked to a friend of mine Friday. And one of the things that's happening in, in this world is a lot of people are having night terrors. So I'm running into this on a personal level more and more and more. Night terrors. People just having night terrors. Well, remember there's demons in the world. Anyway, I told my friend, just read the Bible. Just write in your house and call out to God. That's what I did. That's how I found Christ. But Christ found me. It was in my bedroom. I was, what, 20-something years old. And Christ touched me right there. I never made, met a preacher or a Christian. At least not that I know. Christ touched me. Today, that's my question to you. Are you the one that needs to get closer to Christ? Get your heart right? Get your mind straight? Then take that thing that's uh, your besetting sin the Bible talks about. And take out the sharpest knife you have in your heart and drive it right through that thing and be dead to it so that when Christ comes your oil is, your lamp is burning so Father we close this service and finish today with this admonition that everyone who knows they need to continue to turn away from things that your coming is getting closer and closer every single day God just touch them and help them to either return to you or if necessary receive you as their savior or just get to that position where they're not walking behind you any longer, just walking in lockstep. Touch my friends here today. Maranatha. Maranatha. Even so, come Lord Jesus.
Love God, love one another. We thank you for all these things today, Father, in Jesus' name. Can you say amen with me? Amen.